This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Contractor's Corner. I'm Solar Power World Editor-in-Chief Kelly Pickerel, and today I'm talking with Scott Maskin. He is CEO of Sun Nation, a residential and commercial solar installer based on Long Island. And we're just going to right away get started and, and talk about um, Hurricane Isais and, and how it kind of affected Long Island and just the business that Sun Nation has been doing. We talked with Scott on August 13th. It was about eight days after the storms hit Long Island. Believe it or not, yesterday uh, was the day that everybody was finally restored. I think it was something like eight days, but you know, we saw about 350,000 outages. Um, honestly, where, where we are, it came and went in about an hour. It literally passed over us. It was high winds. I mean, the winds just played havoc on, uh, on the trees and stuff, but we lost about a third of all the ratepayers. Um, most were restored the next day, kind of like Sandy, but you know, it, it's, you know, it, it was it was nothing. I mean, I was out of power at home during Sandy for 13 days, hmm. um, which prompted me to put a big ass generator on the side of my house because <laughs> Tesla power walls weren't available then. You know? Yeah. But so, uh, but again, between COVID and and natural disaster, you know, we're just sort of numb. We we roll with the punches here. Um, you know, that's just how Long Island is right now. We we've been. We've been smacked around so much, nothing really phases us. <laughs> yeah, so what were kind of the after effects of, of the hurricane? Did, did you get a lot more increased calls for energy storage systems? Yeah, actually, the phones and Facebook were off the hook with, you know, requests for Tesla Power Walls. You know, we, we did mostly Tesla Power Walls. We've done some of the other brands as well. But, you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, we, we kind of, bought the Kool-Aid on the Tesla Powells and uh, we've been probably the leading, I'm going to say one of the, definitely one of the leading installs on the East coast, certainly the, the you know, number one on, on Long Island with, with storage. Um, and we saw, yeah, the phones were going nuts, you know, but now it's, there's, there's two sides. The good side is that the people that we have, we have phenomenal testimonies from, um, you know, we did some live work with, Hey, you know, we're at, you know, the car house and uh, he's without power, but look, look at his app, look at this, you know, so the people, it was a really, um, it was a good punch uh, of, of PR for the people that did go power wall and were reaping the benefits of it, especially since some of them were out for three and four days and we had sunny days afterwards. So it was like the perfect marriage of we're depleting our batteries, but we're restoring them with our solar systems. You know, it wasn't just a quick, you know, hour of, of not having power and Tesla kicked in. It was sustained. So that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, then, you know, we had tremendous response from both existing customers that either had been on the fence and finally had it, you know, with, with power reliability um, and a lot of new people. You know, now it's, you know, but now, like everything else, now it's supply, supply shortage is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering, I, I know that like tropical storms definitely kind of make people interested in energy storage, but did, did coronavirus, did that lead to anybody wanting to do more like bunkering in their home? So they want to kind of have self-sufficient power? Well, you know something, 
I, I would say I would say no to that. I would say that being home, working from home, they had a lot of time to shop for solar and, and storage if they were, you know, so motivated to do so. But I get very active with, you know, we do a lot of commercial work here as well. And I sit on several boards with a lot of, um, you know, Long Island CEOs. And I've been preaching this, that, you know, power reliability at home, you know, you, you, you just spent three quarters of a million dollars, a million bucks on making sure that your team, you know, is, is secure and outfitted from home to work from home so your business continues. You know, that's great. What about not having power? You know, and they all kind of looked at me like I was nuts. I said, well, imagine that COVID happened during Sandy. Where would your business be? And, you know, they all kind of looked at me a little dumbfounded. And I said, so, so let, let, do you have power at yours? Well, I have a generator. Great. What about your C- COO? What about your CFO? What about your leadership team? Let's not talk about all the, you know, all the workers out there. So about your leadership team. In the event of a power outage, are you able to communicate with your senior leadership team working from home. And I got an overwhelming, I don't know, which was like a really like, like a stunning realization for these people. I mean, I might not be able to contact my admin assistant. I might not. And, and so yeah. that kind of started it. And, and then this, this last Isaiah just hammered it home with how, how, you know, how reliability, you know, everybody was, talking about being able to work from home and this is the new norm. Well, the new norm sucks if you have no power. And and believe it or not, we have a really robust uh, internet service here. You know, our Verizon Fryos lines for the most part are buried. So many people like myself, even during Sandy, whereas I didn't have power, I did have internet. So I was running off generator and submitting all the FEMA applications for everybody in my neighborhood. Uh, and, And, you know, this is not, you know, when they say the new norm, this is not an anomaly. This, if people are going to be working from home, there are going to be outages. It is going to interrupt business, which is going to interrupt commerce. So making an investment like that in your, in your staff is, it, it, it makes, it's prudent, you know, it, it, certainly your senior staff to make sure that they're not only able to work remotely, but that they have strong power liability. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, I mean, this this is kind of just the new normal, and we've we've been adapting for the past six months. But how has Sun Nation been functioning with coronavirus? Um, like, was business kind of interrupted at the beginning? How have you transitioned to you know contactless um, installations, things like that? Yeah, we we really we took a uh, we took a couple of gut punches. Um, you know, in in early March. When, uh, when nobody knew anything about COVID, um, we sort of had like a five-week ramp-down plan. We, we kind of anticipated politically that this thing was going to become um, a political thing as, as well, not just about health and safety of people, but politics. So we, we started working on a, a five-week ramp-down, and unfortunately, we were accelerated to, you know, we went from DEFCON 5 to DEFCON 1 in a matter of days, you know, our governor did, you know, what he did. And, and so we were forced to shut down. And we, we sort of knew, you know, when you send the four guys out in the truck, if one guy gets ill, he's going to spread it. Our employees are our team. It's our family. It's super important. We run about 170 people here. Well, we, pre-COVID, we were about 170. We're probably down to about 120 now. But, um, you know, we had zero revenue for 12 weeks. Only our service side of our business was deemed essential. 
So, you know, we transferred some workers out there. You know, we, we kept systems up, kept them running uh, as, as socially responsibly as we possibly could when keeping our people safe. The, the irony is that even during COVID, the COVID shutdown, we, had, we probably had about 120 to 140 projects in the queue, ready to go. You know what I mean? Like permits ready, materials ready, ready to go, which, which for us is about three or four weeks of, of, of backlog installation. The homeowners during COVID that were home overwhelmingly wanted us to come and complete their installations. Um, they understood that we couldn't, but if we were deemed essential, we would, we would not have hit a glitch. But our governor did not seem to think that solar residential solar was deemed essential yet landscaping was it's kind of not a really good time you know for sanation but so so we were shut down for about 12 weeks we kept you know our admin staff in a few of us came into the office every day i mean it was like you know we were heading into a perfect storm you know and every day new information was coming in every plan that we made was changed six hours later so it really needed a command center um type of environment Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, listen, we, we made it through it. We fought tooth and nail, which, you know, it's interesting that you asked me a question about, you know, the advocacy from Nicaea. And I'll be honest with you, whereas they were definitely, in, you know, integral in, in finally getting us at least to the table of, hey, let's, let's let solar open in phase one or two, as opposed to just being the redheaded stepchild. It was because of the advocacy that, that, I mean, I put a full court press on myself, politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was all over Facebook. I mean, some of my, um, some of my videos, you know, were played actually in California, I'm told. Um, you know, I called the governor out on it. And that sort of, I believe, accelerated us getting back up and running. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it, was, it was financially very difficult. We were able to take advantage of some of the PPP funds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, both emotionally and, fi- and financially, uh, it was a really, really tough 12 weeks. You, you said you did kind of have to, to decrease your workforce a little bit through this? Well, when COVID hit, we went from 170 and we furloughed 130 of them, mm-hmm. uh, 130 people, you know, which was a very difficult decision. But it was just, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to get any funding. We didn't know when we were going to be on pause. Um, we kept, you know, core staff on rolling. We tried to keep sales on and rolling and transition, you know, from, you know, kitchen table sales to virtual sales, which I think we did really, really well uh, and continue to do really, really well. But, you know, slowly but surely, you know, we started to bring people back um, and we found, you know, there was some resistance to people coming back. There's still some resistance to people coming back to work. You know, this is... um you know, some businesses can run remotely. This is not a business that, you know, every single segment can run remotely. Culture at Sun Nation is a very, it, it's a very collaborative culture of face-to-face, you know, we still answer the phone. You know, there is, when you call here, somebody answers the phone. It's not a machine or a ring central. You know, when we solve problems, when a problem arises, we solve it face-to-face. We get the people in the room and solve the problem. Very difficult to do that in a three by three box on a computer screen. Great. Uh, hyper regionalize on Long Island and, and our New York region because you know we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. That, that's a fallacy. Every region was affected differently. 
every economic segment was affected differently. The construction industry is unique and we were affected very differently than mo- most other businesses. Mm-hmm. These last few months have been really crazy. And I know Sun Nation, you guys have been around for about 17 years. Has this been the craziest portion or was it, was it even tough at the beginning when you were trying to promote solar in a region that maybe didn't really understand what solar was? I don't even, you know, so that's, that's a great question. I don't even know, like on the tough meter, like, like, you know, like if you go into a doctor's uh, to a hospital and they say, okay, what is your pain? One to 10. <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. My six is different than your eight, but I really don't know on the toughness meter what it's, what it's been like. Um, I can tell you that personally, you know, at, at CEO level, this has definitely been the toughest thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. No question about what, because there was no solid plan. It's, it's one thing to have a problem and, and work towards a solution. It's another thing to have a problem and not have a sound footing on what the solution is going to be because things are constantly changing around you. There, were, there was about a four-month period where I did nothing but hang on and try and keep the business together as opposed to grow a business, mm. you know, and make, make prudent future decisions and, and, and do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I was literally, you know, on phones, on video chats with customers, you know, making sure deals were getting sold because if sales fall off, ultimately everything is going to fall off. So, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you get involved in things, which is also, quite frankly, a good thing because it regrounds your reconnects you to the roots of what I started doing 17 and 18 years ago. It, it, was, it was completely different. I was on roofs and I was figuring out how to make racking work and when there was no racking. So, you know, we call it a solar coaster. You know, there's never been a time where we were climbing up, you know, like, like you're going up a roller coaster. We've never had a time where we didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was going to be that, that fall, that, that drop, that, that exhilarating drop of whatever, and then mm-hmm. climb back up. It's always been that way. Yeah. Why did you start Sun Nation? Did you have some interest in renewables or anything like that? Not at all. You know, <laughs> honestly, I'm an electrical contractor by trade. And in 2001, my co-founder and my partner and my cousin, Mike Bayless, he came to me. Lightbat, which was our utility at the time, has a solar pioneer program. It was, you know, and the rebates are insane and we should look into it. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I went and got certified and I designed the system, which ironically, it was, uh, it was like with Kyocera 120 watt modules. Again, we're talking <laughs> about, you know, 17, 18, it was 2001. So we're talking 19 years ago is when I designed the first system, uh, which was the 14th system on all of Long Island. Wow. And uh, at the time, the, believe it or not, the rebates come from the utility was six dollars a watt. Wow. Okay. So, so here I am in the, you know I designed a system and my materials were twenty eight thousand dollars and I put it together with my wife and a buddy of mine in a weekend and I got a check back from the utility for forty two thousand dollars <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, you know there might be something here, uh, you know, in a business. So you know we sit out. It wasn't an industry back then. It was tree huggers. It was trying to get people to adapt to it. But, you know, don't forget, you know, the average system, you know, for a 10K system was, God, it was like 80 modules and it was $85,000 for, for, for a 10K system. That's why we got, you know, $6,000 a lot in rebate money. But, you know, that's kind of sort of how it started. 
you know, we sold one job and then we sold another one and, and, and it just started to gel. And, you know, it wasn't until probably 2008 that the business really, really got crazy because we had this like perfect storm of rebates at that time were like 350 a watt, but materials were plummeting. China had entered the market, so material costs were plummeting. And we had like, all of a sudden the equipment, the way that we installed solar on people's houses became super, super efficient or much more efficient than we had done. So it was like the efficiency, the return on investment for homeowners that were paying cash was like three years, you know, between the incentives and everything. So it really got, you know, it just took off. It wasn't really selling. It was more like taking orders at that time because the ROI was just so ridiculous. You know, the, the industry changed from tree huggers to, you know, financial people. Then 20, I'm going to say 2012-ish, 2013, our utility allowed third-party leasing. So in came the NRGs and the solar cities and the Vivens and, 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 and everybody else. And, you know, they're kind of like, they were like locusts going through the <laughs> cornfield, you know, picking the low hanging fruit, you know, going in impoverished neighborhoods. But, but, you know, a lot of solar got done in those years and all the ships kind of came up. So they brought a lot of, um, brought a lot of attention. You know, solar started, you started seeing more and more of it on people's roofs. You also started seeing shitty jobs as opposed to really well-designed, aesthetically pleasing jobs, mm-hmm. which was fun. You know, that was something to sell against. Ultimately, we've outlasted all of them. I mean, last year, I did more on Long Island. I did more installations than Vivid and Sunrun combined. So, that's great, you know, yeah. And it's a local company that still has that same, you know, you want to call the owner, even though it's 130, 150 people, whatever. You know, it's, uh, it's still that local you know, we built a brand on Long Island and, uh, you know, we fought the, the nationals and, you know, we, we, we held our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, like your involvement with, with Nicaea and the Long Island Solar and Storage Alliance. And you said that that kind of helped get you guys um, to be deemed maybe as essential workers during coronavirus. But why is it important to be part of these like industry advocacy groups? So, you know, it, it's important to do both. It's important to be part and, and to to work together collaboratively with your competitors. You get to the table a little bit faster, but it's also you know, super important to not be afraid to open up your mouth and to do grassroots you know, lobbying as well. I don't, I don't depend on Nicaea or LISSA for sanation. I work with them for the betterment of the whole industry, but you know, they have a whole you know, there's an agenda and it's really important that we're part of that agenda, but it's also important that we advocate for ourselves. You know, Nicaea has the entire state of New York. Meanwhile, you know, probably 50% or 60% of, um, of solar in New York is done, you know, a residential commercial community is done in Brooklyn, Queens, and Long Island. You know, yet there's still incentives upstate and we don't have any incentives down here, you know, any, any rebates. So it's, it's very important to be involved, but not just rely on them to do the work for you. You know, you have to do it yourself. You have to be involved and you get out of it what you put into it. I think that, I think that where, where these organizations all come up short is that many people in our industry, you know, they, 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 they'll talk to talk, but they won't walk the walk. So when it comes to fundraising, when it comes to putting money up to to lobby and really make it make your way like most of the other 
major player industries like, you know, fossil fuels and coals and stuff do, um, you know, you get a seat at the table a lot faster when you're properly represented, but that takes money. The industry's fragmented and not cohesive with, with a lobbying uh, and lobbying takes money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're also part of kind of these good um, dealership relationships. Like you are, um, you were recently promoted to the elite tier of Panasonic's residential dealership. What's it like working in those situations, like with Panasonic or even being a Tesla Powerwall dealer? What do those dealership models kind of help you guys do? Well, you know, I mean, we made a decision 18 years ago that we were going to be a custom solar solution. In 6,500 installations, I have 30, maybe 30 leased systems. Everything I do is purchased on. With that comes a responsibility to always drive the best product, the best the best warranties and to build a sustainable business that you can service. Um, you know, we're not a one shot shop. We routinely now do systems, you know, two and three times for the same customer. Either they moved and they wanted, they want a system on their new house or they, um, you know, their system has, you know, made 12 years, made 13 years and there's new cooler black stuff out there and they want, you know, the new coolest stuff. So, you know, by doing that, you always have to be with the best products that are out there. For many years, we were a SunPower elite dealer, but their business model doesn't work for us. Uh, we need the flexibility of offering top tier stuff and top solutions to everybody. Um, and not everybody, you, you, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We were, we were doing a system on a house out, out east, massive system, you know, 25 kW residential system. Probably 70% of it was on a flat roof. So if I could save the, I saved the customer $12,000 by using a different module that had the same output, but wasn't as aesthetically pleasing as what was being shown. So that's what a custom installer has the flexibility to do, but you got to have all the, listen, anything that I offer, we're, we're the top level dealer. And we, we really, I'm going to tell you something, we really spend a lot of time, before we became a Tesla Powell advocate, we waited. We installed the Gen 1. We were not impressed with Gen 1. You know, our customers rely on us to do the, the due diligence for them. So if we're not comfortable with a product, we're not going to put it out there. Yeah. Um, you know, because we're going to be the one servicing. You know, I, I believe the long play for our business has always been to build a really robust service industry. Um, you know, we're doing a great job with bolt-on stuff with, you know, adding, you know, energy management things and, and smart home technology and stuff like that into just the, so it's not just a solar sale. You know, we're doing a lot of uh, bolt-on stuff because we have the client base that trusts us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you guys are doing really great stuff and obviously installing a lot of solar systems, but I do want to talk a little bit about your nonprofit, Sun Nation Cares. So what kind of community work are you doing? So Sun Nation Cares was established, uh, I think, 2008, you know, formally. We've been so fortunate that we reclaim so many systems, not because they don't work, but because, you know, like I said, customers want newest, greatest stuff. Um, whatever reason, we wind up taking equipment back. So it's destined to either wind up in a landfill or let's talk about putting it to good use. And we use both reclaimed systems and sometimes new stuff as well. By offering somebody the gift of free electricity for life, 
it really enables them in this market to use those resources where, where they could use it better. Give me an example. Um, you know, we donated a system through an equestrian group uh, called Palomine. Palomine was what they, they service autistic children. They service um, children with, that are differently abled. So here's a family of five. You know, the mother is a school teacher, father's a maintenance worker. They have, I'm sorry, they have five sons, okay? And one of them has, has you know, a, a cerebral problem. Mm-hmm. The only time this kid gets an hour piece is when he's on his horse, training with his horse, you know? And the connection between horses and, you know, autistic kids is unbelievable. I mean, spend some time searching it out, you know, how they connect. So mm-hmm. I went there and I viewed the place. And I watched this kid, and the kid was just having a bad day. You know, nothing was working right. He was frustrated. They took him off the horse, and they put him in his wheelchair. Before they could strap him in, he started to slouch over like he was going to fall forward out of the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. The horse backed up and used its face and pushed the kid back into the chair. Aww. So when you see something like that, and then you talk to the family, and they're losing, they, they can't afford this type of therapy for the kid, because they have five sons and money's tight and stuff. And now all of a sudden you donate a system to the house. You, you free up $3,000 a year in, in, in net dollars that would have to go pay an electric bill. And you earmark and say, now this kid is going to have this equine therapy now, an hour a week for the rest of his life. And we were able to accomplish that. So that's the type of work that, that you know, Sun Nation Cares does. We, we routinely give it to differently able families, veterans that are returning. Um, pretty much anybody that it's going to make a life-changing difference to not have an electric car. Plus we service the systems. And then we work with a lot of nationals, you know, United Way, Habitat for Humanity, but we really grassroots it. You know, we go to the towns and we say, Hey, who's really struggling right now? How can we help? The cool part is like the whole company's involved. It's written into the DNA of the company. So everybody kicks in. And just the other day we, we, um, I'm involved. I'm on the board of directors for Make-A-Wish. And, uh, you know, we identified a kid. You know, he has uh, uh, an ailment called hydrocephalitis, uh, which is water on the brain. The kid's, the kid's 17 years old. He's already had 48 surgeries on his brain, right? Mm. So, you know, I get to the job site. It took a little while to get this one up and running. They needed a roof. I had to get the roof donated. Uh, then COVID hit. But when I got out to the installation... And, and the crew was up on the roof. I, I called them down. I says, you know what we're doing today? And they says, oh, yeah, you know, we're, this is donated. I said, I want that come with me. And I introduced the, the, the crew to the kid and to the family. And it was, like, it was like life-changing for them. Like they were doing something that day that was going to make more of a difference in a family. And they, you really start to look. So that's what Sunation Cares is kind of all about. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, we try and do three, four, five systems a year residentially, you know, maybe a commercial one, but rather than this equipment wind up, you know, in a landfill, um, we put it to good use. And, um, again, it's, it's part of the culture here to give back. So this is just, it's just another way that we, we get to exercise that. Yeah. So what are Sun Nation's goals for the next few years? What are you hoping to accomplish? No, so I'm trying to get this COVID weight off right now. <laughs> honestly, if we can get out of 2020 in one piece, you know, you know, some calm weather, 
a stable employment market, man, all that stuff would be super welcome. Um, I, I'm going to say that, you know, this COVID gave this company an opportunity to reboot. What happens is, you know, when you grow a business and you grow super rapidly, it's kind of like a hamster wheel. You're running around in the wheel and you're just adding staff on to make revenue, to add more staff on, to make revenue. Um, and, and sometimes it's really good to be able to stop. There were a lot of, there were some people here that, you know, they didn't share the common values, you know, of the company and the vision of the company. So, you know, better to part company. So it's a good thing sometimes to reboot and retool and refocus your company, which is what we did over those kind of months. We changed some of our processing stuff. We really used that time to dive into process, uh, direction, vision, and where we're headed. So those are all the good things. Uh, listen, I'm having a blast, you know, doing the virtual sales and stuff like that with the guys and, and, and the girls. I guess that, you know, for the next two years, I'd like to see some moderate growth. I'd like to get out of 2020 somewhat flat. You know, I think that if we can get out flat, um, that's a win. You know, that's a super win, especially with all everything that's happening on Wall Street right now, you know, with mergers and, and acquisitions and all kinds of stuff. You know, this industry is finally showing its resilience. You know, we were, were one of the first industries to hire people back, um, right. you know, which is, that's great. You know, you see Wall Street dollars that, you know, get going into mergers and things like that. Um, you're also seeing, which is really fascinating, that people that have been home now and are working through the new norm, as we, we say it, they're seeing their energy bills go up 20 to 25%. Mm-hmm. So whereas, you know, it, it's a give and take. Oh, so you're not commuting and you're not paying for the train ticket and you're not paying for, um, you know, your car and stuff like that and, and, and fuel. But guess what? Your electric bills are going up. So this is, again, you know, everything is, is leading people now to look at the future of energy here. How is my consumption? What can I do to modify it? How can I use storage? We're going to be going to a time to use rate sometimes next year. So storage is going to take another giant acceleration. But if I, like I said, if I can get through 2020 flat, that would be a win with all the retooling that we're doing. And then, listen, for the next couple of years, a little moderate growth. Uh, we're, we're way more interested in profitability now than growth, which was something that, you know, was a tactical change for us. You know, we, we've been so dominant in our market for so long that now, it's, you know, we're, we're driving the prices up as well. Uh, but we have a super client, a super loyal client base. We're going to build up our service, probably do some geographic expansions because I do not like to be beholden to own, only one utility right now and under one state leadership. So that, you know, that is a, that's a failure on, on our part um, that we've um, allowed ourselves to be vulnerable in only one state. Um, but we'll fix that. You know, that's, a, that's an easy fix. And, you know, we'll take our, our regional approach elsewhere and, and our, you know, our world-class customer experience, which is what I think is why we've succeeded and, and prospered so much is because of the experience that we provide. Yeah. No, this is great. I mean, thanks so much for the, the frank conversation today. I <laughs> really enjoyed getting to know Sun Nation. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, and, and, and you guys are doing great work also. You guys have become like the, uh, you know, the Bible, you know, <laughs> And, and it's great seeing that top solar contractor list. This has been another edition of Contractor's Corner. 
Join us each month as editor Kelly Pickerel chats with solar installers across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World Podcast. Visit us online to hear more great podcasts, view industry videos, and read our great editorial content. SolarPowerWorldOnline.com See you back here next month.